0: Welcome back to the Lighthouse Project podcast, a children of Scientology production, and a completely collaborative effort to chat about all the issues affecting the youngest members of Scientology, who didn't choose it for themselves. Today, we continue with the second hearth of our chat with Claire Headley, who was called by the prosecution in the trial of Danny Masterson to provide expert witness testimony about Scientology policies and practices. Can I tell you, I was just
1: re-watching the finale episode of Aftermath for whatever reason. I was recording something and I saw this ex-FBI guy who's now a PI, Jim Ellis. And he was saying, law enforcement doesn't know what to do with what you guys experienced. They just don't. Yeah. It's too much.
2: My counter to that is by now, it's time for them to buckle down and learn And do something about it because we've all been standing up at great risk and great amounts of work have gone into explaining. And I think that at least finally now we have snippets of hope that somebody is starting to listen. For example, allowing terms to be explained in the Danny Masterson trial of crimes committed and covered up, you know, that kind of thing. But they need to buckle down and get to work.
1: Honestly, you're. Expert testimony just set precedents in court that are going to benefit us forever. The Jane Doe's pushing forward with this and their team have just changed things for all of us. It makes me want to cry. I'm just like, yeah, the value of that is just incredible. But we have to keep going and you never know what's going to be a jewel that's a brick. And I think everything's built on everything. It's so exhaustingly slow and excruciating. But it actually does matter. Every single one
2: does And even the climate has changed so dramatically in the last 14 years. It hasn't been without road bumps at all. The whole latest road bump of this fabrication labeled arbitration in lawsuits. Yeah, not even a thing. As we all know, that's not a thing. But it was fabricated by lawyers. They probably spent in excess of $10 million getting that in place. And proof of that, by the way, is that when Mark and I filed our lawsuits, there was no arbitration. It wasn't even mentioned. So it just is a recent change of history that's a strategy by lawyers to try and keep Scientology out of the courts. And they didn't use it Mm. with Laura de Cresenza, which was so recent, and that was so remarkable. But her lawsuit started at the same time as ours, by Mm, the same lawyers, in fact. Mm. So it was just... Two different strategies, and yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Went in two different directions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my lawsuit had forced abortion in it as well at the outset. And then there was a whole big investigation and ongoing investigation with several different agencies, and our lawyers decided to put all their eggs in the human trafficking basket and dropped everything else, which, you know, honestly, I have no regrets because I wouldn't be here today if things hadn't gone the way they had. And I never have any intent on being gagged under any circumstances. What happened to you allowed us to adjust to that approach and pivot, do
1: something different, which affected the next case and the next case and the next case. And it brought us to exactly where we are now, which is pretty effective. Yes. You know,
0: I think what's, really helpful in terms of you and mark speaking out is the way that you both speak about it in a way that's really easy to understand and it's very relatable and there's an emotional impact that we can really connect to and that's what was really needed there's something to just having a conversation and telling a story and bringing people into the story as well mark's book is really great in that way which is blood for good and
2: are you writing a book yeah, I'm really trying to buckle down in the next three weeks. I'm only about 10,000 words in right now. So I've got a long ways to go. But I have everything outlined. I just need to sit down and get in that hard headspace. Let's just get headspace. Yeah, it really is. Mark wrote his book, I want to say in six to eight weeks. Wow. Like he really just banged it out. And then of course, I did all the production and you know, whatever. We went
1: through a whole process. That one was pivotal for me. Just in oh, my, that's in awesome. my yeah. and I had been out for decades and I wow. was just circling back going,
2: what is it okay for me to look at? And that's yeah, one yeah. I could
1: relate to. Yeah.
2: No, like you said, nobody was all that. We all made mistakes. We all did things, you know, whatever. It's just, I mean, Mark's sense of humor is unparalleled. <laughs> <laughs> The pure power Coleman story. He actually first told that story to a van full of RTC staff that he was driving down to the New Year's event. I kid you not. I was laughing so hard. I was crying and I was still in. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my gosh. The madness of it. It's just insanity. Anyway. Yeah. Exactly.
0: Blown for good. And I love watching you guys on the Blown for Good channel as well for that same reason. That fantastic storytelling that just really brings us into the scene and mark has got some really great catchphrases he just comes up with these quips and you're just like oh that's so brilliant that describes that so well oh, yes. the one toy. that i copy
2: yeah. from him all the time is sucks to suck
0: <laughs> it does it really sucks to suck. it's such a great way to look back at the experience because i was like damn that was such a shitty time i was stuck there mm-hmm. or i couldn't get out of this or whatever the situation was and I could look at that with some humor and <laughs> that's fantastic. Y'all, yeah, that's, a, that's yeah. definitely
2: a t-shirt. Yeah. I think humor is a very important part of therapy. It helps to find things to laugh about and find humor. Of course it wasn't funny. There was nothing funny about it. But finding humor instead of just being miserable to me helps me move forward and just go, yeah, it was insane. <laughs> Let's yeah. laugh about it and move on. Mark yeah. is good
1: with that. Nora Crest is good with that. Oh, They yes. are able to find a light angle and humor and all of that.
2: I have a couple questions. Yeah.
1: If a member confessed a criminal act of a sexual nature,
2: what would be the action or actions that you would take as a SEERC member? The crime would be reported to the ethics officer, which is the Scientology police. And then it just goes into all the different handlings, which are endless. Like we were talking about in the example of Jane Doe One, her handlings went on for a year, which included interrogation for crimes, lower ethics conditions, making up the damage, you know, all the self-deprecating, blaming, turn it on the victim, and do damage control on anyone and everyone involved to great lengths. And I think it's important to understand that the ethics officer is the police officer. So in Scientology, the police officer then, of course, reports it to the district, reports it to Religious Technology Center. It's actually a matter of Religious Technology Center concern if Mm -hmm. a member of Scientology threatens to call the police. So Uh,
1: more important that someone's threatening to call the police, then someone has been sexually abused.
2: Absolutely. The focus is on keeping it within Scientology for many different reasons. Public relations, obviously Scientology doesn't want bad PR. Scientology believes that the justice system and the police system is corrupt. So as you were saying, Victoria, a huge part of it too is a Scientologist believes that person can only be handled with and in Scientology and that reporting any crime to the authorities will be destructive. Um, So it's, again, layer upon layer upon layer of insidiousness that blames the victim. Part of my testimony in court was even the fact that victim in Scientology is a very negative Derogatory term that no one uses. If you're being a victim, stop being a victim. I'm sure how many mm-hmm. times we told that as a child. I was told that hundreds Too of times, times. Don't be a victim because that means you're low on the tone scale and you're not surviving and you're a bad person and you're evil. Things that Mueller was having you define were mm-hmm. so simple
1: and yep. so powerful. Victoria and I last year were like these are four-letter words the things they're talking about are so in good standing victim
2: handling handling. and realize i still haven't seen the reports so it's not in that context as you know from what i was giving were very broad definitions absolutely Um, broad definitions for a
1: c-org member for a scientologist and most certainly for a child raised in scientology these things were really controlling yeah. affecting damaging
0: and drilled into you yeah
1: 100
2: percent. and
0: claire you mentioned there's these sort of catch nets that along the way there's many things in place to prevent the person from reporting to authorities and one of those that previous to the first trial would say wasn't really talked about or that i hadn't come across and that's the chaplain's office and victoria was telling us that when she wanted to report the sexual abuse that she was experiencing victoria did you want
3: to talk about that? Well, when I went and told my auditor that I wanted to report the sexual abuse that I was going through by a much older male family member because he had two daughters and I was concerned for them. So I went and I told her about that and she said not to report it to the police and that we'll handle it. But the thing that I still don't understand to this day is that family member was not a Scientologist at the time. But they brought him into Scientology, and he saw my same auditor was receiving whatever sessions he was receiving. But our whole handlings that we went through, I had multiple chaplain cycles with my auditor, with my rapist, and my brother who Mm. got me into Scientology. And then my brother and abuser, we had our own public, I don't even know what to call them, mediations? Mm. I'm not quite sure. But yeah, it was just various chaplain cycles and then i had to go through lower conditions
2: and bring up my responsibility and that was the handling oh my gosh i'm so sorry it's interesting on the chaplain end of things specifically to speak to that mm-hmm. by my recollections, it was like early 2000s maybe late 90s when there was a big push to get chaplains on post in all of the orgs and get them involved. And I think it's because they were having a mass exodus of people leaving Scientology. So there was a big strategy, evaluation, whatever, to get chaplains put into position at every organization. And Mm -hmm. I don't remember the specifics as to why, because again, there weren't chaplains at the headquarters, but it was absolutely a push down from management. And of course they wouldn't tell us, oh, well, that's because we have a mass flood of people leaving Scientology, but it was kind of like an extra net that was added for people who were becoming disaffected or didn't want to comply Mm -hmm. or were pushing back. It was kind of like this, the chaplain is supposed to be a friendly person who will get you on path very different to the ethics officer who's the police and is supposed to have ethics presence and all that. So it's kind of like good cop, bad cop, really, I would say, was the strategy. The ethics officer was the bad cop. The chaplain was the good cop to still keep the entire situation corralled and keep the police and the authorities out at all costs, because obviously you were receiving counseling. So they don't want any authorities, police involved. Not only for public relations reasons, but also be- because of the belief that then you and he, your abuser, right. could not be helped and cured, as bad right. as that is. That's that's how I, that would be my answer to that. Victoria had a chaplain yeah. cycle for her handling of her
1: sexual abuse, and Miriam had a chaplain cycle that she was not involved in, but her mother apparently and her guardian mm-hmm. participated in. Anthony Strawn chaplain cycle for his partner's children he had been molesting the Jane Doe's chaplain cycle to resolve these rape claims that they had so it's interesting it's like we're going to give you some pretense of justice this gentle Uh, or I wouldn't say a
2: pretense of justice more like here this person's going to try to make you feel a little better make you feel okay (laughs) yeah (laughs) this person's Um, here to help you
3: yeah yeah something that's really interesting christy i'd not mention this because just i think two days ago i was sifting through a box of stuff from scientology time and my emails and i found some knowledge reports that i had written to i think to i'm not sure just for my folder i guess i had forgotten about this but in 2010 actually 2011, my auditor had me go to the ethics officer, I think, and reported it to the EO as AO, a separate rape that I had gone through. And anyways, let me back up. So I experienced this rape in 2010, and then I had my first suicide attempt, and that's when I was 5150. After I was released from the hospital, I was meant to go live with my auditor, and My auditor had me sign an affidavit or a living will that if I were to attempt again, it wasn't because of Scientology. It was just because of me. So to take responsibility. But it was just interesting. I found this in the knowledge report that I had written to the ethics officer. And way earlier before we were talking about validation of, oh, I'm not crazy. This actually happened. I forgotten I had written that KR and I have that. I'm like, oh my God, I have it written that I had to sign a living will that's um,
2: unbelievable yeah i and don't that, know it's layer upon layer it just never yes
3: yeah yeah but i think
2: what reminded me of that
3: is i too also had to write this steps up to the ethics officer and then i don't know
2: where it went from <laughs> there yeah. What the handling was yeah, after that. No. copies of those reports go everywhere Office right. of special affairs religious technology center the yeah. in purse ethics database for the public
3: Mm-hmm. Scientologists? Yep. Okay.
2: I had never known because I knew it
3: went to my auditor and obviously the case supervisor. But after that, I had no clue where those things went.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. In fact, in the time that I was in Religious Technology Center, they had, what was it called, OSA packs and RTC data packs. That was like a quarter of an inch of reports and any media and oh, wow. any everything that was distributed to all the executives to David Miscavige, to Shelley Miscavige, etc. That was the first thing I had to do every day was read through this massive pack of wow, wow. reports that had been sent up of anything and everything, good, bad, and ugly. Yeah. I want wow. to say that I don't remember the name of it. And I'm mortified that I can't remember
1: the name of it. But there's a website, right? For reporting things in that there's a report that was solicited. Every single week or something, anytime there's anything that's a legal action or that's harm. They were actually soliciting this information, asking DSAs or something like that to report any kind of legal challenges, any kind of threats, any kind of thing that might king the org, that might be a threat to the organization. You're asking for that information. It's going somewhere. You're collecting it. All of these things that we're talking about are somewhere or multiple
3: places, to be honest. I just figured that it was sitting in a dusty closet in my field auditor's house somewhere. And that it never went anywhere. In the case
2: of a field auditor, I'm not sure. I was being handled at AO. I don't know why
3: that would have been where I went. Yeah, I don't remember the specifics then. I was very mentally unwell
2: when all that was happening. understandably I'm really yeah. sorry you went through all that it's yeah. just thanks
0: I've wondered about okay so there was a box there was a communication box that I understood was a direct line to RTC I understood it to be a direct line to David Miscavige because I was the LRH communicator at the PAC branch even though LRH was no longer around I had that post title so there was a box and I was the only one that had the key and cadets could write a letter. Every day, as a part of my job, I had to go and unlock this little wooden box and check if there was any letters in it. So funny because I had this huge question mark. And then what? And every day I was so relieved that there was no letter yeah. in there. But what am I going to do with it if there is? If there was, would you read it? I would have to read it because I was the LRH communicator. So I was supposed to communicate it on to LRH. I don't. Know. <laughs> yeah, I've read the policy, so I can understand what my job was. Basically, that it's a direct line, it's a sacred line to address anything that it's not being handled correctly, that kind of thing. And so it's a way of resolving a matter to seek recourse and have address from like a higher, you know. And he wants to hear all things and know all things. Okay, but and he's he could have kind of by interview. now. He's dead.
2: Yes. Right. So you know how on every org board, every organizing board, every org chart in Scientology, there's a little flag in the upper corner that says Religious Technology Center or RTC. Do you mm-hmm. remember that? hmm Okay. Mm-hmm. So the reason it's like this little flag is because... Oh, I do R- recall it now. I'm imagining yes. it. Okay. So Religious yes. Technology yes. Center can go in at every single level, whereas management has to follow the command channels. RTC does not have that restriction. And so that box is a direct line to Religious Technology Center. The reports in the, so there's one of those boxes at every single organization Correct. on earth. And those reports are collected and sent to the reports officer in Religious Technology Center, who also sends a report to David Miscavige and everybody else. Oh, here's mm. a summary of all the reports received. This week, that are about matters of RTC concern, of which there are a huge amount of RTC concern. Wow. This is what I wanted
0: to check with you. When I wrote a letter and put it into that box, I believed I was writing to David Miscavige himself. That was what I understood. And I even wrote, well, this is to my memory, and this is what to my understanding was that I wrote, Dear Mr. Miscavige, on this letter. Am I correct in saying that there was an idea that it would go directly to David and just like I understood when I was cadet that this was supposed to go to LRH via, you know, some liaison, but is that, would I be correct? Or is there, or would it be going to like EDN, for example? Yeah, that's what I wanted to clarify. No,
2: no, yeah, no. If you send a report to Religious Technology Center, it goes to the reports off. It depends on who the report was from. There were many reports that were written directly to David Miscavige, and he had a secretary that handled responding to all those and often would use the reports officer in Religious Technology Center to investigate matters that were reported to him and so on and so forth. So it's not untrue that reports would be made directly to him, no. Not necessarily any report put into that box, but he would receive many direct reports some of those he would then send to the reports officer to investigate gotcha Makes yeah sense. yeah
1: and i was going to say prior to that it was the so one line see number one line or whatever that went directly to lrh and it said any letter written to me will be received by me
2: yeah that's it Precinct. well you might yeah.
1: worked in an so one and that was not true
2: Yes, exactly. <laughs> Only the most
1: important things were escalated to him and he responded to. It. Otherwise, as one wow. that team signed off on stuff and answered everything. So it didn't make it to him. My question was the SERS thing, Source Information Retrieval System. Like, <laughs> when did that yes. start and what was that? So we were talking the other day, about was, oh, it was consultant and vices as well as policy, as well as stuff that they wouldn't have had at the lower levels.
2: Yes, absolutely. And to back up a little, I'm sure you recall that the moment the prosecution announced that I would be testifying as an expert witness, which was roughly the end of March or mid-March, I think. some um, shockwaves across the world. Yeah. yeah. But within a week, the defense named none other than my stepfather totally, to counter my testimony, which is nuts on so many levels and so that was just um, a scare tactic clearly because they didn't do oh, it. oh completely they didn't do it yeah just went I mean, away i reflect on it and go wow let's see you destroyed my entire family and 18 years later you expect this to have some kind of an impact yeah oh, really yeah and not only that he was never in the C organization mm-hmm. for 14 years he never even knew where i physically worked mm-hmm grasping for straws yeah Mm -hmm. funny side story i wrote a report on him and when i was in religious technology center which i'm sure had an impact but i thought i was doing the right thing my mom had to tell me a year and a half later that he had stopped talking to me i was oblivious (laughs) Um, i was like really what why well you wrote a report on him i'm like oh my gosh are you kidding me right now and all of that for context of source information retrieval is that at every echelon of Scientology, there is an extensive computer database of every single writing from L. Ron Hubbard that relates to that level of management. So for example, Office of Special Affairs, they have a computer system where they can search all of the OSA network orders Mm -hmm. and all of the OSA advices. The policies is one thing. red on white, the green on white, the books. That's what a general public person has access to. But the fact of the matter is, is that there are thousands and thousands of additional writings from Hubbard. Another great example is during the original days of the Sea Organization, orders of the day would get issued every day on board the ship. All of those are in source information retrieval. Oh, wow. There were... Advices particular to Religious Technology Center that only Religious Technology Center could read and have access to, which, you know, let's not insert the, but wait a minute, what about the hidden data line? Isn't that a hidden data line? (laughs) Yeah, you can't insert logic. It was that, no, these are the Hubbard policies that relate to Office of Special Affairs, to management, to all of that, that the public will never see. So you could just search, I mean, I spent probably thousands of hours researching things in source information retrieval. Yeah. Incom. Yep.
1: That's just the computerization of stuff.
2: Yes. Where they started
1: building databases of things.
2: Yeah, exactly. Incom. So that's the computer management wing of the c organization if you will Mm. but yeah they managed source information retrieval they also managed the management and c organization version of what we now know as email so an internal secure electronic messaging system and not only that but also filters so that anyone who has computer access cannot access the outside world there's Kids that
1: have said they worked on a project at the AB in Clearwater scanning stuff. Yes, ethics files.
2: Yes, that was for the Int Purse Ethics Database project, which was done everywhere. That was being worked on, gosh, I think like 94, 95 is when it was being done at the headquarters. There were missions. It was a big deal. And the whole idea was to get all the ethics files, all the personnel files all the life histories, everything into a computerized, wow. searchable system. So that means that I know, if I have access to that system, everything that you've exposed
1: on your life history, which is expansive, yep. and also anything that's happened to you in the CR, in your ethics files, any promotions through your personnel file, the exception would be your PC folders. Yes,
2: yes though there are reports made sometimes by auditors. So yes. So that you can write
1: a session KR on that goes into your ethics which would go in.
0: Yeah. I was in one of those projects when I was a kid. And what had been happening since the beginning of time in Scientology is that everything was handwritten or typed up and it was all paper and it was placed into folders. So wherever you were on services, you just had these rooms and rooms filled with folders. Now, when we came into the computer age, they then created the system. Now, Incom, which Christy mentioned, was the organization that managed the computer system. Yeah. Is that related to RTC? Were they like pieces of something?
2: No, no, no. Incom was kind of off to the side. As you can imagine, by virtue of what we've just discussed, there were some major security issues at Incom, which that is a wow. whole other the head of Incom, his name was Tom Rummelhart, had copied a lot of information, and I think he either posted it on the internet or was going to in 1995-ish, and that created a massive investigation, a massive shutdown. They completely overhauled security protocols in Scientology when this happened. That guy was under 24-7 security watch and interrogation for at least a year after that. He was the commanding officer of Incom. Wow, crazy. So there's this transition that happens from
0: the paper system to the computerized system, right? But prior to that, throughout the early 90s, the cadets, we would be sent on missions, they were called, and we would do the filing because the filing would get backlogged. You imagine there's literally stacks and stacks of paper that need to be filed into people's personal folders. So for years through the early 90s, that's what we did. Then they would get sorted into the files of the person. I'm just trying to give you the idea of this prolific amount of reports and paperwork that are being filed by children. Now we would read them. A lot of the times, it depends. Sometimes we are like having a bit of a race like and and making it a fun game between us. But a lot of the times we would be like, whoa, like, did you see this? And a lot of it was husband and wives reporting on each other about sexual things. And so that was a lot of the bulk of the material that we were coming across and reading. So that's just as a little side note there. Then we come into this computerized system and it was these big Xerox machines that we were scanning one after the other of these. Pieces of paper. And it's scary to think that all of this information, that's an enormous amount of reports on thousands of people, it is just yeah. sitting in this computerized system that you said, Claire, it's searchable.
2: Yes. Is yeah. That, no, absolutely. Yeah? Right? Key terms, all of that. Yep. Absolutely. It was supposed to be searchable by date, by term, by, I mean, endless. Wow.
1: So the folks that are calling us trying to recover us, I've just got a couple calls maybe a year or so ago, and they're just rattling off every service I've done, my membership level in the IAS, whether I was in the Sea Org or not. And I was trying to tell the guy, I was like, I appreciate that you have this database that you're looking at, and I'm sure that's really valuable to you. But from the outside world, you sound like a stalker dude. Mm -hmm. And I hope that you can look at this a different way because it is so creepy. This phone call is incredibly creepy. And he was, of course, what are you talking about? I don't Mm -hmm. know what you mean. I'm just trying to help you like a literal robot.
3: I remember doing that. I was in Div 6 LA Foundation and we would pull stuff from Central Files and you could just see everyone's everything (laughs) if you pull up their file and whatever. I don't know what system that was at LA org. But yeah, you could search somebody's name and pull up all of these
2: different things that they did and base your letters off of that. The ethics and reports information, that person wouldn't have access to just a listing of essentially everything you did in Scientology and where gotcha. you were. But nonetheless, it doesn't change the fact that there is a very extensive computerized system that contains all manner of reports, crimes that have been covered up, You name it. It's all there. It does not seem very smart (laughs) for Scientology because
3: I'm hopeful. I think that it will happen, that there will be an investigation. Hopefully this organization will be brought down. But holy shit, the amount of evidence
2: that's right there in front of them, like child (laughs) abuse. Uh To twist that to a more humorous, maybe a little bit sarcastic, now imagine that database on a thumb drive. And it's in the Mission Impossible. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, destroy
3: all the files.
0: (laughs) It is insane, the record keeping. Everything's on file there. But I want to just differentiate here, just in terms of your testimony, you were talking about a system that had all the references in it and it had all the policies that could not be accessed just by any other organization. There were some that are specific for RTC. And it governed the way that you would operate and specific for the higher up orgs that was not accessible for everybody this was a searchable system that you could put a keyword in and you could pull a whole bunch of references to really back up the reason why you're doing something or to follow a certain process or maybe to create orders and then there's this other system in fact there's a couple systems here because you have the public information database this has your address phone number all your personal details and it has all the correspondence between registers or anybody who's logged into the system. I was in the tech colon of Asher Day and Asher Foundation at different times. And we had a public database and you could make notes on each phone call that you made. You would have a history there of all the contacts. And it's more like what you would imagine as like a, a client management system.
2: Yeah, like but a CRM kind of thing. Yeah.
0: There you go. So like every letter you send out and then every response. So just bear in mind if anybody is replying to, a letter it's going to be recorded in this system and then the other thing that we're talking about is this mass collection of basically intelligence on civilians and that continues to pile up it's a computerized system it's searchable if you're thinking like oh it was on a piece of paper that might not be no this whole system they have done the entire backlog of every single record that was contained in Scientology this is all the organizations in
2: the world did this same project and let's not forget history does tend to repeat itself and scientology was found guilty of the largest infiltration of the u.s government in its history and now the fbi raided the pack base and found extensive proof of crimes so it has been done before yeah wow You know how the aftermath attorneys or A&E attorneys
1: reach out to Scientology and they go, this person has shared her story and here's what she said. And what do you say about that? And then the Scientology attorneys respond to the A&E attorneys, right? Yeah. So they said that I wasn't in the cadet org when I said I was in the cadet org, which is cuckoo town. Like how would I and why would I create that? But second. They came back with this knowledge of things that I had done that were out ethics that I did. It's true. I will admit to it. But where did you get that information? Mm-hmm, right. If you don't have my folders, how do you know that I stole this nightgown? And I said, no, I didn't because I was denying it. I just don't understand how they can give these little bits of tidbits of facts and yet then not be able to back up where they were getting the information. So I filed a police report with the Colorado Police Department, and I was like, I just did astromath and Scientology. They just came back and claimed all these things about me, which only could have come from my ethics files. So they clearly have mm-hmm. my folders. Please just go yep. ask them for my folders. Oh, no, yep. they have no go. record of you. There's no record of you whatsoever. You were just a deranged child or something like that. But I think the system that we're talking about where they're gathering information They want to take credit for it, and yet on the other hand, they want to pretend like it doesn't exist.
2: Yeah. yeah. Information is confidential, priest penitent, blah, 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 until it serves Scientology's purpose, in which case they will bring it out in a heartbeat. Yeah. Yeah. They'll use it however which way they want to protect themselves, denigrate anyone speaking their truth about abuses committed by them, and that's just the beginning and the end of it. And I hope that that trips them up at some point. Yeah, exactly. It's definitely getting there. They're backing themselves slowly but surely into a corner. And so can you tell the difference between a knowledge report
1: and the things that shouldn't be a report?
2: Sure. So a knowledge report is just a very broad label of, and there are many different types of reports, but the broad knowledge report is If you have knowledge of somebody doing something that's against the rules of a Scientologist or, you know, they say something bad about Scientology or they didn't go to their training every day like they're supposed to, I mean, endless amounts of things, but primarily driven and focused around what you're supposed to do as a Scientologist, to be a good member. So if you have knowledge of somebody doing anything other than that, doesn't matter who it is, it could be your mom, it could be your sister, it could be your neighbor, you are required to write a knowledge report to the police in Scientology, to the ethics officer, to state the exact specifics of what the violation was. And in fact, if you don't write a report Then there will be consequences, and you can get the same penalties as the person that you failed to report. Things that shouldn't be reported is a little different. It's where you suspect something. And in practice, it was also used for, let's say, your boss or somebody who has much more clout than you. Mm -hmm. You know, it's kind of this surreptitious way of making a report. I mean, it's a policy in Scientology. But the difference is that a knowledge report, you have to copy the person you're writing the report on. That's not the case for things that shouldn't be report. Mm -hmm. You're not required to let that person know that, like you're not required to give them a copy. It's intended as, well, you don't really know who's at fault kind of thing. You just have a suspicion that something's going on. But again, in practice, it also was used of like your S- boss safer you know. way to report yeah exactly something. they all okay. go to ethics okay. and then the ethics officer is supposed to investigate things that shouldn't be report so i mean they're supposed to investigate a knowledge report too unless the person being reported on has ethics protection in which case the police officer is supposed to file the report with a yawn quote-unquote mm-hmm. that's disturbing
1: Like, yeah, I think we were used to that. If your stats are up, if you're producing, if you're a VIP, if there's so many excuses for why some people are excused from everything and other people are not. And I'm sure that's the same in society, but it's disturbing.
2: Scientology has perfected the art well beyond society, though, in terms of protecting and covering up crimes, Mm -hmm. at least from what I witnessed. Mm -hmm. Do you see any potential reform for Scientology? with regards to the way
1: that they address reports of this nature that were covered in this trial. Abusers, victims, perpetrators, record keeping, and the handling of these types of legal cases.
2: The problem is, in my opinion, that by the very nature of Scientology and the way it was structured, they are incapable of change because they follow Hubbard's writings. And Hubbard hasn't been here since 1986. And so they're still following all the same policies that he wrote. And now it's just a new person. David Miscavige has picked up this corrupt organization. And yes, he's kind of reconfigured things in some ways, but the fundamental policies and beliefs will always remain the same. Therefore, I don't see an option for this organization to change. Because with Scientology, it's standard
0: tech, right? And it's Elbert Edward, Hubbard's word and you cannot deviate when you're being trained in it. If you have a question on it, you need to find the misunderstood word. So there's something that you don't understand. It's never a question of is this right or wrong. And there's no conversation that you can have. The supervisor is trained to direct you in that way. Okay, then go back earlier. If you can't find the misunderstood word here, it's gonna be the previous paragraph. There's something that you don't understand. And so you have to corrects your understanding of what he's saying rather than the materials being at any fault so that's why this is ingrained this is the way that you study it it's at the beginning level and it's right the way through you cannot change from the policies and practices
2: yeah you'll never hear a Scientologist say oh well that doesn't apply anymore right yeah not <laughs> expired yeah, the no. facts
0: on keeping Scientology working, you're not allowed to. And that policy is at the beginning of every major course, not in the introductory courses. So, in fact, something that's written in 1962 should be still current to
1: today. Yes. Yes. Could you please tell us that to me? Because I'll be over here. <laughs> with, yeah. for my I'm
2: going to maybe know that. Yeah. Could you, we're yeah. not playing some minor game in Scientology. Namby, <laughs> pamby, panty, wasted dillet. Oh my God. Yes, exactly. Yeah. The survival of every man, woman, and child on this planet depends what you do <laughs> here and now with an in Scientology. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm glad yeah. we can
1: laugh about that. Is there anything that you wish that you could have been able to include in your testimony that you were not asked that you just feel like have been so good to
2: just till it oh gosh that's a tough question it was just very narrow and specific really hoped that i had communicated enough so i think the only thing that afterwards i was like did i really get that point across is kind of the big brother nature of ethics in scientology that helicopter like they're always there looking over your shoulder and also the leverage that they use on their members. So, understanding mm. that, well, why didn't you just go to the police? Like it's layer upon layer. Well, my family, my kids, my friends, my work, my entire life revolves around Scientology because I'm there every single day doing what's required of me. So, you know, any one of us could talk for hours upon hours to try and explain the life that you live in Scientology and the impact and programming and indoctrination it has on you when it comes to a crime perpetrated against you and how you believe you're doing the right thing by not reporting to police because you're not allowed to. Those are things we could talk about at great, great length. So you were thinking, did I do enough? Did I say enough? Did I make it clear enough? And
1: I would Absolutely. say you a million percent did. A million yeah. percent. yeah. And it was life changing for us. Like, seriously. Thank you. It makes me cry. Just think about it. <laughs> yeah.
2: I'll try not to cry. I cried for a full day. It was such a relief to just know, you know. And again, the fact is Scientology was involved in these crimes. So that's where it was really important to me that that piece of the complete picture be presented and known and understood so i'm just really thankful that i had that opportunity honestly you were limited by
0: the questions that were oh, directed by
2: you and you could completely. completely
0: answer those questions of course and also there is that pressure you have to deliver it really concisely i think you nailed that Yes. And I think that there was, I mean, I'm envisioning that there was almost like this bone chilling effect of when it really sinks into the jury that this is a systematic thing, that this is policies and practices, and that there's people who are civilians, and then, well, who are the other people? And it really creates this visual of this policing, controlling organization, which I don't believe that that impression is in the mainstream media. So I can imagine that that would have had impact to understand the experiences of the Jane Doe's, even though you weren't speaking on their experience, you were speaking on what you came to testify on in terms of Scientology. Yeah. But sitting on the jury, I can imagine that they start to get the idea that, oh, this is bigger than this individual. There's a system here that protects the yes. perpetrator and then silences the victim. Yeah.
2: Yes, no, absolutely. One of the precise purposes of my testimony as well was to, quote, explain the delay in reporting unquote and the whole purpose of my testimony was there was no delay in reporting they did exactly what they thought they were supposed to do and what they were allowed to do in accordance with Scientology policies and procedures so Yeah. yeah yeah
0: they followed the system and we saw that with Jane Doe one's mother as well The jury did not get to see that letter or hear about the contents in that letter. But we saw these victims, and in Jane Doe Warren's mother's case, they were operating within the confines in the system of Scientology. And she makes this very strong plea to David Miscavige to help her daughter. And she believes that Scientology, if it's applied correctly, it's going to work. She still is in that mind frame. And we know that to this day, she's not left Scientology. And we also understand there's a lot of things that go along with that. I know we're wrapping it up here. I'd love to chat another time. Maybe we can have you on another time to talk about this cognitive dissonance between this parent-child relationship and navigating a system like this, where the system's really designed against you and it's designed to separate you but then you still have your own moral compass of she knows that her daughter's being wronged and her daughter's right. being harmed and she's trying to prevent that from continuing like so yeah that's a, a conversation for another time
2: maybe absolutely as you probably know one of my deepest passions in all this is i would just love to reach the day where it is illegal to involve children in cults there's no easy way to say it The trauma the destruction but yes i would love to have that follow-up conversation yeah so if you please yeah. promise to come back and yes and we
1: can talk <laughs> about your childhood in scientology and i would love to talk about your family now and
2: aftermath foundation and so many things awesome i appreciate everything yeah. you ladies are doing you're thank brave you. strong beautiful and courageous thank okay. you for adding your voices to expose your truths I really appreciate it. It means a lot to me personally. So yes, thank, thank you. you.
3: Miriam, you mentioned way earlier about soda homes. Yeah, what was that? Oh, yes. So I Googled it. Um, I've been sitting on it. Mm. Status offender detention alternative is what that stands for. Ooh. Detention by detention the- alternative? So is administered by the probation department. It's a non-secure placement facility for juveniles under the authority of some code. Mm-hmm. When a juvenile is charged with being a runaway in the city of Los Angeles, the area in which the runaway juvenile resides with the parent or guardian should be responsible for the investigation and arrest disposition of the juvenile. So the soda homes are temporary placement facilities only and should not be considered the permanent place of residence.
0: So sorry, did it say that they should be investigating who? Investigating
3: me for running away? Or what did it say? Sorry, that's <laughs> other. <how that's laughs> Can you please investigate <laughs> the
1: child for running yeah. away?
3: <laughs> the geographic area in which the runaway juvenile resides with the parent or guardian should be responsible for the investigation and arrest disposition of the juvenile. There's only three juvenile halls that have soda and pet homes. It's Eastlake, Barry J. Nordoff, and Los Padrinos juvenile halls interesting and this this was a house like
0: mm-hmm. it was this a woman at a house we rocked so, up yeah, there or in the morning yeah and it, it was, was just, i guess a temporary holding interesting because they didn't know what to do yeah. with me yeah i was just listening to Laura
1: anderson who was talking about this time that she ran away and she was like i ran away and i took a radio with me and then i was like where am i going and how am i gonna live and i might die and then the People were radioing me. Your parents are here. You better come back. And she was like, I oh, I don't do. it. I just oh don't remind me of Miriam. And also Valeska, mm-hmm. who was telling me she escaped from St. Hill and like just went running off shoeless in some field. And finally, you're like, where am I going? I don't know. I don't have any food. And so you just turn around and go back.
0: Yeah. So like, and then what? My what? Catherine is the same in her book about cadets. Yeah. And she goes, what? It's a freaking mountain, guys. It's nothing. And then she brought an apple with her. So then <laughs> she sits down on a rock and she's eating this apple. And then she's like, "And now, you know what I mean?" Because it's like eventually it's going to get cold, and you're going to get really hungry, yeah. and you don't have a soft place or a warm place to sleep. Where am I going to sleep? And so at the to take back into the ranch.
3: Thank you all for sharing your truth and experiences. This has been lots of great information, but a lot of details that could be really hard to digest. So please remember to check in with yourselves. For more information, support, and advice regarding sexual assault, the largest national helpline in the U.S. is RAINN, that's R-A-I-N-N. Their website is www.rainn.org. You can speak with a trained staff member via the online chat or call their free helpline, 800-656-HOPE, that's 800-656-HOPE four six seven three we're just so happy and appreciative of anyone that is listening because this is really meant to be a part of community and we're here all together so we're very appreciative as you're part of our village so thank you so much